0: We are in the book of 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter today. I met my wife at a wedding. A longtime friend of mine was marrying a longtime friend of hers, and um, the mother of the bride saw this as an opportune time to play matchmaker. She took it upon herself to do everything in her power to put Cindy and I in the same place at the same time. And... Uh, This was one of those weddings where the groomsmen would walk the bridesmaids down the aisle. And so who do you think I walked down the aisle? Yeah, that's right. The first night that I met my wife, I was walking her down an aisle. Well, you got to the rehearsal dinner afterwards, and um, it was one of those rehearsal dinners where they had assigned seating, and they had your name at a seat, and I sat down at my seat, and what? And lo and behold, guess who I see's name tag next to mine? I'll never forget the words that Cindy had for me when she uh, came to find her place next to me. She said this, I want you to know I had nothing to do with this. Well, thank you very much, right? It really didn't matter to me uh, if this was all set up because um, she was pretty awesome. Anyway, two and a half years later, I'm walking her down another aisle. And I said, "I do, to the love of my life, And over the years we have um, often run into the mother of the bride, who, of course, takes all the credit. She just smiles this great big smile of satisfaction over her handiwork. <laughs> you know, I think about that often, especially as a minister, um, and as uh, reading this passage in Second Corinthians uh, That as Christians, we really do play the role of matchmakers. A third party. Um, We're helping others find the love of their life. Jesus. And that's the way Paul is seeing himself at the Corinthian church. And he's not just a matchmaker, though. He is the father of the bride in this uh, analogy and illustration that he gives to us. A, A father of the bride matchmaking for his precious spiritual daughter, the Corinthians. Because this wedding has been set up between the church and the king, Jesus. And yet, uh, as the matchmaker and as the father of the bride, he sees in the church there are these seeds of infidelity growing. And so he addresses it. The first couple of well, the first three verses of Second Corinthians chapter 11. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So I ask you this question, is it okay to be jealous sometimes? Are you ever jealous? Well, I certainly hope so. Godly jealousy protects those we love. The word jealous means to experience strong feelings, to be zealous for or against someone. It's a word of passion, to say the least. It's right for a husband to be jealous over his wife, to take on any rival that threatens their relationship and their love. It's right to be jealous over the well-being of our children, protecting them. And the church is a bride engaged to be married. Paul is the matchmaking father of the bride. He, he wants his daughter pure. He wants her single-minded. The simplicity is what it says in the, in the text. In her devotion to the coming groom, he's jealous for her. And jealousy, I've got to protect her. I've got to make sure that she's ready for the groom and the king. And, and yet there's these people. Can you believe it? Way back in this time, there were false teachers that would come into the church and purposefully try to build a following for themselves. He says they preach a different Jesus. And I, I hear the heart of Paul, he says, I'm going to fight for the fidelity of my spiritual daughter, the true church of Jesus Christ, and the true gospel, and uh, I guess I would say the church needs a little bit more jealousy these days. Jealousy over the, the protection of the gospel, to protect it and to secure it and to pass it on unchanged from generation to generation, and... Uh, Paul sees these people coming into the church and they're presenting a different gospel, a different Jesus. And maybe the church today is passionate. Maybe we're jealous about the wrong things. You ever thought of that? We'll we'll protect things that maybe are not what God would have us to protect. I think sometimes people today contend and they feel compelled to contend for causes or traditions or styles and... uh, some want the church to be more like it used to be, and yet others want the church to be more contemporary. Aren't you glad I'm treading into this? Some want the church to be more concerned with social issues, such as housing and poverty and food programs, and some want the church to be more emotional in the way it worships it worships, and more expressive, and some want just the opposite. calm down. On top of all that, we have these movements uh, within the church that passionately sell a brand of Jesus that, uh, well, it just manipulates Scripture. It promises worldly rewards. It plays into the selfishness that Jesus came to set us free from. Paul knows that this is a this is a temptation. This is a, 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 a trap. This is something that the enemy wants to do in the church to adulterate the gospel. He refers in the passage all the way back to the garden, Adam and Eve, and uh, he says that the servant was crafty with her, and he led her down a path that led to rebellion, sin. He got her to buy into a subtle distortion of God. What are we to be true to as the bride of Christ? I think it's the same for us as it was for the Corinthians, and Paul makes it very clear. He says, don't let your minds stray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. power-packed statement, if you ask me. The point is just remain faithful to Jesus. Remain faithful to Jesus, not all these other causes, not all these other things, not all these other things we want to defend and impose upon others and opinions and Faithful to Jesus. Simplicity, single mindedness, purity, unmixed. Just him. What is it in your life that vies for attention or protection that's not Jesus? I think doctrines can be like that. Have you ever seen doctrine divide Christians? I remember being a part of a church that was so against Reformed theology that they would preach faithfulness to their anti-Reformed theology. (laughs) And yet I've also been a part of a church that... uh, was so against that anti-reformed theology church that they preached a whole different kind of thing, and it was all about you can't trust them, and you can't trust them. Trust us. Yet theology, doctrine, is just one place where people adulterate the relationship with Jesus. Tradition is another. We hear all the time about churches splitting over tradition. We can't have this new music. You ever heard that? And yet we have these people over here. We can't have that old music. It's not real church unless it happens on Sunday morning. You have to use the King James Bible, right? Churches need steeples, and they need hymnals, and they need organs. Or, and the pastor, he really ought to wear a suit and tie, right? Oh. And yet there are these churches over here that are wanting to be cutting edge and they have these worship bands that are so amazing and multimedia presentations and they wear skinny jeans and don't tuck in their shirt. (laughs) Right? All the while. Well, there's Jesus. It's come unto me. Don't have allegiance to anyone, any other thing, other tradition, other doctrine, other, other, other. It's me that is the source of life. And I have to wonder as I read this, is there something that uh, grows up in the church that presents a different Jesus? A, A different Jesus that's just Not quite so personal. It's more of an idea or it's a belief system. It's a certain type of lifestyle. I remember the days leading up to that wedding where I met my wife. The bride-to-be was at the college where I attended and she would always tell me about Cindy priming the pump. She told me what she was like and how much fun they'd had in their high school years and she showed me pictures of Cindy and even before I met her I had a pretty good idea I was going to like her. Can you imagine if after hearing all about her I decided it would be better to just continue accumulating as much information about her rather than having to deal with her. I could continue to talk to other people who who knew her, to gain as much insight as possible. In fact, I could probably get to know her through other people well enough that I can begin to tell other people about this person that I've never actually met. And I have to ask myself, do we do that with Jesus? Have you met Jesus? <laughs> I love Jesus. Jesus. There are times when I'm discouraged, and uh, he, he's my friend, and he comforts me. And uh, There's times when I fail, and he comes, and he has this incredible way of just restoring me. I get overwhelmed sometimes, and my friend, he, he calms these storms. And uh, have you met him? Are you on a lifelong quest for this and uh, to know Him and help others know Him? I'm going to tell you today, nothing else really matters at the end of the day. Verse 4, For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted. He's telling the church, you bear this beautifully. You put up with all of this other than Jesus stuff. My point is this, make it your life's goal to know the real Jesus. Because when you alter who He is in His grace and His mercy and His kindness and his truth. When you alter him, you get a different gospel. And the church in this day, perhaps in the church today, there is an acceptance of a different gospel, different things that are important. It's important to understand that they're not teaching against Jesus. They're using Jesus. They say, you didn't, you're not talking against Jesus, you're just telling us a different Jesus. And it's false. They said, Jesus is good, he's great, you ought to believe in him, but you also ought to follow the rules that we have long established in the Jewish faith. And uh, it's one thing to believe in Jesus, but that's just not enough. And as you look through the history of the church, you will can see where every culture of every stripe throughout church history has put its own stamp on Jesus plus something equals righteousness. Believe in Jesus and you got to be baptized to be righteous. Believe in Jesus plus try hard not to sin to be righteous. Believe in Jesus plus serve the church And of course, give your money to be righteous. Jesus plus. So one distortion of the gospel that was being preached is that Jesus is just not enough. You need him plus something else. And... uh, I think another distortion that we see in a different Jesus, is, uh, and it's prevalent today, is uh, the expectations we have of what Jesus does in our life. Skilled preachers, teachers within the church, they promise so many things that they're followers. If you'll just follow Jesus, he's going to provide all these wonderful things for you. And of course, he's going to want you to be a part of my ministry. And of course, he wants you to send in your Donations. different gospel, different spirit. And I think in our modern world of affluence, there's this natural tendency to project certain types of expectations on Christ. We even filter Scripture through our modern affluent mindset. We read passages like Mark 8.35 that talks about losing our life we go, of course I'm going to lose my life. That's an easy thing to do because Jesus promises me all these wonderful things that he's going to take care of in the world around me. So go ahead, I'll lose my life because it's going to be better. We read Romans 12.1, you ought to sacrifice, you ought to be a living sacrifice. Well, of course I'm going to be a living sacrifice. That's an easy thing because Jesus is just going to make everything work out. He's going to make everything happen, and I'm just going to... You ever had misplaced expectations? Those verses have nothing to do with worldly ease, comfort. In fact, the Lord says that His followers in this world, you're going to have trouble. Those verses are about the death of every pursuit in our life that isn't Him. There's so much disillusionment with so many Christians today because they had this expectation that Jesus makes everything work out. They want Jesus plus the expected benefits that he should be giving me. Jesus becomes a means to get what they want, and we've got to be so careful. But I want you to know that Jesus is not going to have any part of it. He is going to do everything that he can to rid us of the self-centered Christianity that sometimes grows up in our lives and uh, I've shared this experience with you before, but I often talk about the wilderness experience of my life. And I will tell you right up front that my wilderness experience is not that wildernessy <laughs> compared to others. I found myself not only out of the ministry, but out of a job, disillusioned with what God wanted from me. Life was not supposed to be going like this. I was married, had two young kids. I searched and searched, finally found a job. Yet, I didn't like my job. It paid just enough to keep us out of poverty. And uh, during that period of my life, I often went to God in prayer, right? Obviously. Lord, I I, I just want you to change my circumstances. And yet, nothing happened month after month after month. You see, I'd grown up to believe that God could really use me. And that's what I really wanted to do more than anything else, for God to use me. And uh, when I was in college, I traveled and sang with a music group. I immediately went into ministry after graduation. And things were falling into place with the ministry and the future for my serving God. And I remember finding myself in this place of confusion, wondering. And God asked me this question. Perhaps you know what the question is. Son, am I enough for you? And of course, my reaction is the one that you would expect. Of course, Jesus, you're enough. Right? Of course. But he kept asking the question, and you know what what it's like when God keeps asking you the same question? Am I really enough? And I began to think about that. And what if I never had another ministry in my in my life? Would Jesus still be enough? What if I was the Job of my day, and He stripped everything away from me? And uh, would He be enough? began to wrestle with the depth of the question and uh, I knew what he was asking. I knew that I wasn't able to say what Paul said in Philippians 3, that he saw everything in life a loss compared to just knowing him. And I can't begin to tell you when you get to the place of freedom where he is enough, because all the search for getting all this worked out, <sighs> it just becomes so secondary. And I still had the job that I didn't like. And... But Jesus was everything to me. And I look back and I say, Jesus, that's where I began to be usable. That's where I began to, because it didn't matter anymore. And I have to tell you, over the years, there have been times where, you know what I'm going to say, right? There are times where our heart begins to get attached again. Our heart can get attached to our families or our our, our ministries. And uh, he says, no, I'm jealous for you. And there will be things that he'll intervene with that will cause us to remember, oh, you are enough. I don't I don't have to get all this. And I tell you my story because you you may be in a place today or you may come into a place at some point in your life where you're frustrated or scared or discouraged or alone and you know it's a wilderness experience and you you don't like it and uh Oh, yeah, you want, it, you want Jesus. There's a role that he plays in your life, but you also want the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, but I want him to heal my body, or I want him to change my marriage, or I want him to make ends meet easier. And he may be just calling out to you, Am I enough? Am I enough? We're going to close the service with a song that says, Come to the altar. You know what the altar is? It's a place where they killed sacrifices. It's a place where sacrifice became very real. It's an invitation to come and die, really to put the idols that we've erected over opinions and preferences and expectations. And I just want Him. I don't want any rivals in my heart. I just want Him. And an altar can be a physical place. Yeah, it can be right there, though, in your heart. It can be right there at your seat. where you say, I'm putting it all here letting it go, putting it to death, giving it up. Father, in these closing moments, I do pray for the spiritual work that you want to do in the lives and hearts of people. I know what you've done in my own life as I've had to wrestle throughout so many years of life the times in which rivals to you begin to become important and yet in those moments where you intervene and you draw me back and say lord it's all yours this church is yours my family is yours my marriage is yours the future of my kids it's yours my job my vocation is it's yours my stuff my money i don't want it in my heart i don't want it attached And so here it is.